Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Michael. So the most exciting thing about this episode, it is the first episode with our new theme music. (gasps) Yes. So I feel like in addition to, hey, Carla, hey, Michael, we need to also say, hey, Martin. Yes. Thank you, Martin, our very talented friend. We appreciate you. Yeah, he came over and... Put our music together, and um, thank you, Michael, for finalizing it and putting it back. We're so excited. <laughs> a, little, a little slow, but it's there, and it's cool to have something that is completely ours that we can take with us anywhere, and we we appreciate a friend helping us out with that. Yeah, I really liked it. And tonight, I'm over at Michael's, and we're surrounded by all the animals. So Michael has a very pregnant cat <laughs> who could give birth during our podcast. And just absolutely insane. I hope she doesn't, but also <laughs> I kind of hope she does. <laughs> very pregnant kitty was walking around here. We got to feel on the little babies and feel their little heartbeats, so it's super cute. How's your week been? It's been very good. There's so much exciting things happening in my life and in your life yes in the next couple of weeks by the time that we come back to record our next episode oh yeah michael you will officially be a married man i shall be i will be married and you will have one of the kiddos graduated from college (laughs) by the way two years early (laughs) this son of a bitch i just want to say that like your life event makes you feel like young and full of life and my event makes me feel like my life has passed me by i'm not sure that getting married at almost 40 (laughs) makes me feel young and vibrant at 40 i have a kid graduating college so for all of you you can do the math figure out at least least i was youngish but it does i'm very excited very proud Big things happening. One thing before we jump into this, and I have specifically been waiting to tell you this on air. because So I told you that we went and saw the Book of Mormon last night, which was an amazing show. They do an off-Broadway series here in Pensacola every year, and they have a traveling group that comes in. And for those of you that aren't aware, it's just completely irreverent, kind of poking fun. Not even just specifically at Mormonism. It's really all religion. They take no prisoners. It's just ridiculous and over the top. I'm not shading anyone's beliefs, but there are some parts of Mormonism, not so unlike Scientology, that when you really get into it is just a little bit, for I think most people, a little out there. Like they believe you get your own planet when you die. Jesus, after he was crucified, but before he was resurrected, ended up appearing in what ended up later being like modern day New York. Jesus apparently did a drive by America. So Thomas and I are discussing this before the show and pretty loudly and like we've had a couple glasses of wine, so probably a little boisterously. And we've been sitting next to this couple this entire series because like us, they just always buy the series and super sweet. They're a little bit older. So we're talking about this and, you know, the the planets and making fun, not disrespectfully. Like, again, if you're Mormon, please know, like I individual faith is beautiful. I mean, nothing like that. We were at a show that is about satire. We're right. in a satirical mood. So we're like, you know, how are you feeling about the show and everything? I know the last one wasn't your favorite. And she was like, well, you know, I have some feelings about this one. We're like, why? She's like, well, we're Mormon. Oh, no. <laughs> no. 
answers like we'll see if i can make it through the whole thing well you know what i have said it i feel like it's like now a running joke i'm like oh by the way i'm catholic but i can easily poke fun at the catholic church and the catholic religion and also still have respect for it but also poke fun at it it just there were definitely a couple times when i looked over at her and saw that she was like almost looking through cracked fingers like you do in a scary movie like oh my god am i watching this but you know what she made it through the whole show and before they left she turned to us and was like we'll see you next year i hope you'll sit by us next year so i know apparently they didn't mind us making fun of it too much and they ended up having a good time i feel like that's (laughs) that is the way to do it is to have some lightheartedness like sometimes you just have to poke fun at things even if it's serious even if you have respect at it like you know, I feel like we do that all the time. Like, we talk about true crime. We talk about very intense things. That's right. But there are moments that you have to, you have to, like... To almost even process it, you yes. have to look at it that way. Yeah. We're not trying to disrespect anybody. It's just, sometimes you just need a moment of something funny, something about it. In the vein of that, thank you for letting me take that detour. I just <laughs> thought you'd appreciate that. Like, it was just I so do. awkward. Like, when she said to us we were Mormon, like, Thomas... And I almost looked at each other like, are they joking? Like, are we punked right now? They were dead serious. I, I kid you I mean, not. Like, I think we're going to need to switch seats. That's right. Excuse me, Usher. Usher. Yeah. I'd be like, Thomas, which one of us is going to the bathroom That's first? right. That's right. Come five minutes later and let's quietly make our exit. I'll give you the signal. Caca. Yeah. That is great. And I'm so jealous that you're getting to see all these cool show it was really really great if you have the chance next year like do the series like maybe we can do a couple of pre-show dinners or something it's it's just a good time and they get some good talent in there i love that so i will tell you a little true crime news i just shared it on our socials but elizabeth holmes officially has popped out a baby girl and there were some pictures of her taken out there with her little boy and then the brand new baby girl and she is just days away from turning herself into prison where she'll be for at least, I think they say they have to serve in federal prison 85%. So she is sentenced to 11 years. Um, so she's probably in there for the next eight years. Which relatively for what could have potentially Absolutely. happened is it's a blink of an eye. Right. And well, and she was standing oof. against her, you know, yeah. $9 million house. So, I mean, I would will say that like, as a mother, I feel bad for her children and, like, what they're about to face. But, like, yes, she's is got enough money to cushion her That's into right. the next 15 years. She will survive. Yes. Dear God. All so, right. So this, I am so, so we kind of did this one backwards. Yes. Yeah. In that I think we're giving the more salacious stuff and the bigger part of the story that everyone knows in the second episode, yeah, we're going to be revisiting the Murdochs today. Yeah, so we set it up last episode where we talked about murders or deaths that were surrounding the Murdoch family. That just made you go, hmm. Yeah, and I think it kind of set it up to understand who they are, who they are in South Carolina, and what type of people we're talking about. I think for Alec, especially, it showcases. So... The murders that we talked about last episode, one was that Paul was involved in, who's the son, just to remind everybody. So the other one was one that Alex took advantage of for his own profit and then was the death of Stephen Smith. And so we have no idea if he is actually has anything to do with the Murdochs, but there have been a lot of rumors about his death. It's important to understand those facts as we move into what really led up into the days before Maggie and Paul passed all the way up into Alec's conviction and where he is now, which is in prison. And rightfully so. Absolutely. 
So we're going to talk about the mounting financial crimes that Alec was involved in and hiding, then the details of what happened to Paul and Maggie that night and why the jury found him guilty. Because I think there was a lot of speculation in the beginning. Did he do it? Was somebody paid to do it? He has this opioid addiction. So we're going to talk all through the details. So if you don't know anything about the Murdoch case, that's okay. Sit tight. We're going to go through all the details from it. You don't need to know about this case to listen. If you do, maybe we'll share some things that maybe you just didn't know about. We really need to talk about the financial crimes because we need to understand the surmounting doom that was surrounding Alec right before the death of his son and his wife. So we talked about last episode Leading up to the death of Paul and Maggie, the Murdoch family was being sued by Mallory Beach's family. So Mallory Beach, for those of you that haven't listened to the first episode, she was a young lady who was involved in a boat crash where Paul Murdoch, the son, was allegedly driving the boat. And they say allegedly because it wasn't proven in a court of law. That's right. Though there's video of him driving, we feel like 95% that he was driving. Everyone says that he was driving, but... It wasn't proven in a court of law, so we'll go with allegedly. But due to that lawsuit, Alec was having to turn over his financial bank records. So there are so many financial crimes that he is facing right now. Let's just break it down for a little bit. I listened to the testimony of the CFO, and it was brilliant testimony. Let me explain how this works. If you work for a law firm and you make money or fees for representing clients, that money would go into the law firm main bank account. The law firm was called PMDE. Murdoch's family was a named partner and the attorneys were paid their regular salary during the year. But then at the end of the year, all of the fees and other monies would be gathered, any costs deducted, and then a ratio would be paid out to each attorney depending on what they brought in. So kind of like a bonus. Like a bonus. Yep. So the salary for Alec was 125000 a year before any bonus is paid out. So there's also a client trust account. This is a fiduciary account where money from a settlement or an insurance company, this is where the money would be held until it's dispersed. Now that's different than the fees that an attorney is paid. This is the money that would actually go to the client. And of course, the fees would come to that. So, it, and it's just going into this holding account before it's given to the client. Yes. Okay. So part of working for this law firm, so as part of its bylaws, is that you cannot do any type of side work, side hustle, whatever that has to do with law, and it not go through this main bank account. It's like a non-compete kind of thing. Yes. And it's also keeping them honest, right? Keeping everything above board. Right. And so if you can do, like, it's very normal for law firms to partner up or lawyers to partner up, but if they got paid a fee... They have to run it through this bank account. And the CFO kind of explained it. It it evens it out a little bit. She was like, while some of it is dispersed based on if you brought in 50% of the fees, you're going to get a bigger bonus paid out. But it is going to help compensate if maybe I'm having a really bad year. Or maybe I was put on a case that's much harder to get some of these fees. So it's going to be a long one, right? So I'm not going to see it this year. I'm going to see it next year. So it does even it out. The other thing that's important to know is that lawyers at the beginning of the year can actually take a loan out from the law firm, and they can use it up against the, the fees that they're going to get at the end of the year. So let's say I wanted to take out 25000 and that's going to help cover me throughout the year to, to do whatever I need to do. 
I can do that. And at the end, if I get, you know, a $200,000 bonus, that $25,000 would be taken out of. So it is important to note, Alec Murdoch did not do that. Generally, he made enough through fees. He did not need to do that. I would also point out that in the background, he's doing all sorts of shady stuff. So that's right. probably didn't need to take a loan. But it's under. It's important for us to understand, like, that's how that law firm worked. That's how they operated. Yep. So in 2017, a check for a loan payout from the law firm was mistakenly paid out to Alec rather than to his brother, Randy. Again, Randy and Alec both worked at the same law firm. They were both lawyers. And um, the CFO said it was a clerical mistake. Their names are right next to each other because it probably goes by last name. Just clicked on the wrong one. Clicked on the wrong one, paid out to Alec instead of Randy. Okay. Well, here's what Alec does. So he goes back and says, hey, I never got that check. So they cancel the check. They write him a new one. Well, then a year later, apparently they had like canceled in their books, but not canceled it at the bank. Not only does he cash the check that was meant for his brother, he also cashes the first check that he said was lost or misplaced or whatever. So it takes them a little bit, but through accounting, they figure out their clerical error. They confront Alec and he is like, oh, it was a mistake. They laugh it off. And it's kind of no harm, no foul. He puts the money back. No big deal. And we're talking about a smaller amount here. And he was just hoping he wouldn't get caught, it sounds like. Yes. I also, Testing the waters almost. Right. Yeah. I think it's like it's important to note that this is a family law firm. So this family has been part of this law firm since 1906. Yeah. So it's not a far stretch to be like, hey, you made a mistake. And him to be like, oh, no, sorry, I didn't. Yep, definitely made a mistake. Whoops, probably did something I really wasn't supposed to. Sorry, here's the money for it. They were all but the law for the last hundred years in this area. Right, and the staff really trusted it and kind of, of just- Of course they did. Just let it go. They'd had no reason prior to not trust it. Right. So the CFO realizes that there's a discrepancy between a check that was issued to a company that creates structured accounts. So these types of accounts are for- someone who might have sued an insurance company or sued someone and was getting a long payout and maybe they would need it only to come out in certain years could help with taxes or someone who has like long-term medical benefits so they're only going to release a certain amount to help pay for those medical benefits so they realize that there is a discrepancy there and the cfo confronts alec about it and she's like hey this really is not the proper way that this should be done for this check to be issued. Alec mentions that he's more concerned about getting the money transferred over to Maggie's name rather than the IRS benefit that he would get to do, you know, it's structured a certain way. And he was mentioning because of the boating accident. So this is after the boating accident and he's trying to get money out of his name and into his wife's name because she's not a named defendant in that lawsuit. But Alec is. And the CFO said, like, her spidey senses started to go off. Yeah, because at the very least, you're trying to hide something there. Correct. You're just trying to, like, put put some aside. Which, by the way, from his perspective, even though that is shady, it's not a completely unreasonable thought. But I get why she, that would put my spidey sense up, too. Something right there. Yeah, it's definitely some hiding assets. Sure is. She's a law firm... The one thing I learned, so, you know, we listen to the prosecutors a lot, and it's really interesting to hear their perspective, when it, especially when it's coming to talking about lawyers. And they said, especially in cases with lawyers like this, 
your ethics are called into play all the time. And the one thing that you can do to get in trouble as a lawyer is start messing around and fucking up the money. And like, that's really where your ethics, you're holding a lot of people's money. You have money going in and out of, out of different accounts. And so it's really important to have really high ethics when it comes to working with other people's money. That was something that she started to pay attention to and really just didn't sit right with her. Here we go to the week that Maggie and Paul die. June 2nd of 2021, one of Alex's paralegals asked to speak to the CFO privately. The paralegal was concerned about a case that had a significant settlement. It was like, oh, I think it was a couple of million dollar settlement that was done by Alex and his longtime good friend, Chris Wilson, who owned a different law firm. And the settlement money was sent to Chris Wilson's firm, and then they would send a check to Alex's firm to cover expenses and then would also include the fee for the attorney. Because again, you can do that. You can partner up with somebody, but the money has to go through the account. That's right. So they got the expenses, but they didn't get the fee. And so that kind of sends an alert that, hey, Alec has probably been paid directly, which is a no-no. So she talks to the CFO about it. And the CFO is like, okay. This is a third offense in, right. in fairly short order. I I would be feeling all the ways at this point. I don't care what your last name is. And the fee is like $792,000. Jesus Christ. So it's like, that's just the attorney fee. So it's a big chunk of money. Like yes. this is not like a couple thousand dollars. This is not $25,000. This is almost a million dollars. So what was it? And maybe you're getting to this. So if I'm jumping the shark, stop me. Like what was the purpose of him trying to get it? directly was he trying to hide it again was that yeah the, okay that's exactly. so basically i was never paid this and then i can put it in someone else's name good yeah. to go he wrote it he was having it written directly to him so he was almost skirting the system so that it didn't have to be set out and then like none of none of the um costs or other things could be taken out of it he could just receive it directly yeah and immediately he doesn't have to wait till the end of the year to get it okay yeah it's very shady the CFO asked the paralegal to get a full record from the disbursement from the other law firm. She wants to see copies of the check that okay. was written out too. So that's on June 2nd. So June 7th, the CFO goes to confront Alec. He says, oh, no problem. The money's there. And she's like, cool. Glad that you still have the money. Glad that it's still there. I want to see the documents. I want to see the ledger. Because to her, this is more than just the money. Now you are doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. And so I want to dig deeper. I want to dig deeper. And you just producing the money is no longer good enough. So it's not like the first time, you know, no harm, no foul. Now I need to see what's going on. He repeats that the money is there. But at that time, the conversation's interrupted. And Alec gets a phone call that his dad is terminal. And that the doctors are saying, hey, there's nothing left for us to do for your ailing father. It's time for hospice. And so, again, family law firm, this lady has known Alex since she was 16 years old. She knew his father. She works with both him and Randy, the brothers. So she said that, like, the CFO in her turned off and the family friend and a human being turned on. And, you know, we can worry about the business later, right? Let me deal with you as a human. And they talked about his father and and how he was doing and how he's feeling. And she's like, you know, you take off, get me this paperwork that I need in the next couple of days or whatever, but like, go deal with your father. 
And I'm almost wondering too, if in that case, because it is something that's like so personal and traumatic, like that's awful news to receive. And if his father hadn't been well for a while, like even if that in the CFO's mind was not quite an excuse, but like here, here's a good reason that someone might be more careless than usual. They're distracted. They have this other thing going on. It's, it's actually kind of brilliant manipulation, even though that part was true. Right. But a brilliant use of that by Alex. Like, I, there's a part of me that's like, bravo. But, so, uh, like, I feel bad for the CFO, too, because she, she just thinks she's being a good friend at that point. Yeah. So Alec does reach out later that day and needs to get information on his 401k balance that he would need for this boat crash meeting on June 9th, where he would have to hand over his financial records. So June 7th gets confronted. June 9th is when he has to hand over the financials. The other thing that's happening in the background is he had been trying to get a loan from his dad for about $700,000. You have to remember that like his dad is the one who's been bailing him out his whole life, bailing out any of them. So if you remember like Paul, when he got into that boat accident, who was the first person he called? The grandfather. Why? Because that's the fixer. So here's the person who has bailed him out his entire life. He was trying to get a loan from and is now terminal and can no longer sign any documents to get him alone. I just, I'm confused too. I don't know how typical this size of fee was for him. How are you in that much financial trouble if you were receiving attorney fees of $800,000? Yeah, I think it's pretty typical of him too. Like, I think they were making a lot of money. I like, that's just, in, like, then how do you find yourself not with the money. I'm so confused. And we know just a few years before that, the Gloria Satterfield's estate got $4 million and he pocketed all of it. So, I mean, just... he is burning through money. Dear goodness. Okay. Besides showing examples of what a shithead Alec is and how backhanded he can be, this is important to know what kind of impending doom and gloom that was going on in Alec's mind. Like literally the day that his son and his wife are killed. It's almost like a pressure cooker. 100%. Your dad is dying. There's no one left to bail you out. Even your dad dying is not going to fix anything. Like you think you have, your mom is still alive. You, so you're not getting that You're money. not getting anything. And even if your mom wasn't alive, I mean, you know what, how long estates and things like that, like that's a long, they're going to figure out. And the other thing is, there's so much more than $792,000 missing. Yes. There's somewhere, I think it's like right around $10 million Dear. is what they will find out. And it will have been going on since 2011. He was just getting away with it this whole he time. He was getting away with it this whole time, but he was getting sloppy. And it was mm -hmm. getting probably more extravagant. He just realized like they were just poking into the 792000 But what was hiding behind the 792000 was way more than that i just like the pressure i don't feel bad for him because you did this to yourself dumbass and i i can sympathize with the amount of tension that he must have been experiencing just that day alone but also in the months leading up to it right and think so not only do you have your work confronting you about this financial crimes that you know you're fucked over you now have to hand over your financial records to a lawyer who gives two shits about you. One, how are you going to explain this, which I'm sure was part of the motive for what later happened to Maggie? Like, how do you explain this to your family, right? Like, So I, there, is, there is thoughts that, and they tried to talk about it in the trial, but there are thoughts that 
after the boat accident and things like that, that Maggie was picking up on one, he seemed to have a pill addiction. We'll talk about it a little bit too, that he says he has this massive pill addiction, but I think she does realize that there's something wrong with him. She's probably starting to realize that there's money issues. You have to realize that something is going on. You're having to turn over financial records. You're having to move money into her name. So I'm sure she's starting to pick up on things. And I think this life that they had built was crumbling. Yeah. Was absolutely crumbling. Castles made on sand, man. Like, uh, unfortunately, the tide eventually comes in, friends. Yeah. And so I, I think it's just so important to understand that this is his mindset on that day. It's like a, it's a man in desperation, right? Like you're a yes. animal at that point. And, you know, the horrible thing is we have seen cases and talked about cases of men who have crumbled under far less. Yes. This is a lot. Well, and some of it very personal in nature, like some of it is his own doing in its business. But like, I don't, I don't care. I do believe he's a fairly awful person and most people don't lose a parent and it not affect you. Right. He's going through some real things here on top of all the things that he did to himself. Yes, absolutely. It's not that he just broke bylaws in his own company and he's going to be fired. He's going to be held federally. Some of these are actual crimes. 100%. Because the money isn't probably just somewhere unaccounted for. Like they're going to find out that money has been stolen from victims, money's unaccounted for. They're going to find that the the amount of money that is looming in the background is way more than this seven hundred ninety two thousand that was paid directly to him, which should have went through the company. Dear goodness, yeah. So here's what happens the rest of that day. The day that Alex was confronted and his dad was terminal, he texted Maggie, his wife, who had been staying at the beach house. And supposedly she'd been staying there. Maybe her and Alec were having some issues. It's rumored that they were not having their best years of marriage. And she was staying a lot at the beach house. I think, too, in the community, she was a little bit ostracized. A young teenage girl had died, supposedly at the hands of her very drunken and abrasioned son. So I'm sure she was not having her best year. COVID was happening. So she had been staying out at the beach house. So Alec does text her and say, hey... You know, my dad is really sick. It's probably, it's not looking good for him. Can you come to Moselle, which is their hunting property? And he really just wanted to be together as a family. The older son, if you guys remember, we talked about episode, he is, Buster is off at college and he's hanging out with his girlfriend. So he's gone and it's just Paul and Alec and Maggie comes over and they are at the hunting property they hang out with, with Alec, they have dinner, and with ours, they would be dead. Like, it would all come to an end that fast that night. From what they know now, was he already planning on doing it at this point? Or was that something that happened more in the moment? I'm trying to understand the mindset, if he had planned it, of what it must have been like as you're sitting down to dinner with your wife and son. Yeah, so there's a couple of different theories that, like, maybe it was really intended to kill Maggie and Paul was collateral damage because of the fact that, like, why would why would you need to kill Paul? You're not going to get anything. There's no life insurance. Because the whole point is you put it in Maggie's name, then right. Maggie's gone, so then you get what is Maggie's. Yeah, and I think Maggie by herself, too, came with from some money and had and some— probably had life insurance. Had her own and... properties and things like that. So, right, you could liquidate her assets. Um 
she's probably the only one in the equation, honestly, that in his mind needed to die. The fact that Paul died with it, that could have been the plan all along. Paul also was involved in this really big lawsuit. And so maybe if Paul wasn't there, the lawsuit wouldn't be part of it. I'm not really sure how much planning went into it, but there had to have been some sense that this is going to be the plan of what I'm going to do at some moment. You're at least contemplating it deeply at that point. If mm -hmm. you were bringing them on to this more remote hunting property, right? Like you are, you are putting them in a scenario where even if he hasn't decided at this point, he wants to go forward with it. You're giving yourself opportunity now, which for, as we pointed out, a desperate man that's a bit like a cornered animal mm -hmm. is, is maybe not the smartest thing. And he's running out of time. Yes, he is very June, quickly. June 9th is coming. Two days, man. Yes, fast. it's coming fast and fierce. Although to that point, like well, everything that we said about Maggie, like you aren't getting that money overnight. Like I guess all he would be doing is being like, listen, I'm in a bind, but money's coming. And then that still looks suspicious. Like if they're not already looking into you at that point, you don't think saying like, listen, I know I'm in a bind. I know things look bad, but my dead wife's money's coming. So well, like, I think at what? this point, like you're just looking to delay the inevitable. That's true. And so like Just maybe by time. By time. That's fair. Completely fair. So the first story that Alec says, so this is the timeline according to Alec. Okay. So after dinner, Maggie and Paul go down to the kennels to see the dog, which is strange anyway, because Maggie was not the one who was involved with the dogs. Again, these are not like your normal pets. For these hunting are dogs. Hunting dogs. They live in kennels, all all humanely, but live in kennels. And their property is many acres and so it is the house is probably a good acre to two acres away now we're not talking about I'm, i live on a couple of acres of property so we're not talking about you know a hundred acres yeah. away but we're talking about there is it's a couple of, it's going to take you a couple minutes yeah to walk from point a to point B. right you're probably going to get in a side by side or or a four wheel or whatever you want to call it that's right and ride down so according to him they go down to the kennels and he lays down on the couch and goes to sleep for about an hour or so. And he awakes and he decides at nine something at night that he's going to go see his mom who has late stage dementia at nine o'clock at night. And so he calls Maggie. Jeez. It goes unanswered. He doesn't stop at the kennel. He doesn't check on them. He goes, gets in his car and goes to the nursing home and visits with his mom for about 45 minutes to an hour. And that's logged and video cameras and the things, yep. right? So we know that happens. So we know he leaves. We know he goes to his mom's. He comes home and he says he goes to the house, checks the house, doesn't see them there, alarmed, drives back down to the kennels and finds Maggie and Paul brutally murdered, brutally shot there by the kennels. And he says he checks them very quickly, realizes that they're not breathing, and that they're probably already passed, runs back to his car, calls 911. And then 911 phone call, It he does sound very upset. And somewhere between calling 911 and the police showing up, he says he runs to the property, back to the house, and gets a gun because he's in fear for his life and brings it back down and waits for the police. The police show up and they begin to start to put the investigation of what is happening. Alec also calls his family and his friends at the law firm. Now the crime scene is full of family members 
and full of lawyers and full of police officers, ambulance, and it's a very busy crime scene. Immediately, the police, of course, begin to question him, trying to understand what happened that night. Alex is very upset, and his demeanor is exactly what you would expect from, we watched the video earlier, it's exactly what you would expect from a grieving husband. Yes. like, yes. Alec is wearing a white t-shirt and some string, like, cargo pants or whatever. That were pristine, Pristine. Carla. He even... Pressed, even. Yeah, because <laughs> like, there is, I mean, the great thing about dash and body cams on police officers, so you can watch this, you can YouTube it. Michael and I watched it earlier. He actually turns around and the police officer ca- captures everything. There is not a drop of blood. Anything. On, anything on his clothes. On There's not dirt. There's not nothing. No. So it is hard to believe that he went and touched two bodies that were brutally shot. And his son was shot so bad that there is blood. There's brain splatter. There is bone fragments all over that kennel area. Put yourself in that position, listener. Mm-hmm. If it is your loved one, if it is one of the most sacred to you people in your life, and you walk in on a scene, even if it looks like they are already gone, I'll know about you, but I am, and I know you, I shouldn't, like the, yep. the crime junkie in me knows this is the wrong answer, but like I, like if this was Thomas, I would be checking everything, like anything that I can to keep you alive, to test if you're alive, like I'm going to start doing compressions, you are going to have blood, other fluid stuff all over you if you were genuinely trying to help that person. Think about John Bonet. Yes. What happened as soon as her dad saw her? Immediately his first reaction was to pick her up, grab her, run her upstairs. That's right. Even though she was already gone. Like, That's right. Even like his brain could because not process. It was just if there's even a chance, let right. me do what I can. That is a normal reaction. If you to do this. not know that they're dead. And the only way that you know that they're dead is if you did it. Right. Hit the nail right on the head. Immediately, Alec starts to say that his son was involved in a boat crash and had been receiving death threats and people on social media were being very ugly to him. And this could be the reason of what happened. That's one of his first things. In fact, they have not confirmed to Alec that Paul and Maggie were dead before he is starting to push the blame that this could possibly have something to do with that boat accident. That's some inception bullshit. Like, let me just place this little idea in your head. And we've seen this before. Yes. We saw it with the boat accident that starts spinning the story. It's the power of suggestion. Yes. That's let's right. start talking through everything. He also tells the police, this is a hunting lodge. So there's a lot of guns around here. He shows them the gun that he has. They ask him about other guns. They're very concerned about it. I do know like later on throughout the night. They search the house. They're looking all over the place for guns. Stepping back to the law firm. So the next day, the CFO hears information that Maggie and Paul had been shot the evening before. And of course, at this moment in time, the human being in anybody says that like financial issues put aside, we have to remember that like these people have known the Murdochs almost their entire life. They've watched their children grow up together. They've probably been there for birthdays and weddings and all of the things. So they're probably grieving right along with Alec and his family. So they're not worried about this missing $792,000. Not in this moment. And like you pointed out, the whole goal was by time. Correct. Yep. So that kind of puts that piece of it there. So June 10th, 
three days after the murder, Randolph Murdoch, the grandfather, dies at his home. This was the grandfather. This was the head of the Murdoch family and really what I like to call the fixer. So he is officially gone just within days of Maggie and Paul. I'm going to go through a timeline of events. I know. And it's the whole house of cards coming down. I'm stressed for you, Alec. (laughs) When I go through this timeline, you're just going to be like, damn, damn. (laughs) June 25th, the family goes in offense mode, right? The uncles go on TV sharing how distraught they are. They claim their brother had nothing to do with the murder of his son and wife. Buster and the dad, Alec, offer a 100000 reward in finding out any information that could lead them to find the murderer of Maggie and Paul. August 11th, SLED, which is the South Carolina law enforcement, interrogates Alec Murdoch, and they do everything but call him a suspect. He continues to deny that he has anything to do with the murders. He confirms the timeline that he stated, which again, his timeline was they had dinner, he took a nap, he never went to the kennels, he left to go see his mom, he returns to the house, he goes to the kennels, finds his wife and son. He doubles down on that timeline. It's a bold move, Carla. Yeah, it is. The, the question's flashing my head like, how typical is it for you to visit your mom at 930 at night? goes to visit an older person at 9 p.m. at night. Michael, I would not go visit I would not go visit you at 9 p.m. at night. I would be in bed already, <laughs> Carla. On most nights, I would already be heading to bed. But it's uh, back to our earlier point. This is clearly a man of desperation because Alec, he's not a stupid man. No. But we know this to be true. Not a stupid man. He's running out of time. And yeah. he's getting desperate. It would have been better for him to say he was going to visit his drug dealer. It sure would have. That would have made way more sense. It really would have been. I woke up. I needed pills. I went to find my drug dealer. Yes. And then I went to go visit my mom for an excuse so I could tell my wife. Honestly, because I would have bought that. If I'm the police officer, exactly. I would have been like, you know what? Actually, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Because (laughs) it's like, okay, well, I got to tell my wife I'm leaving for some reason. Hey, And why would you admit one crime to cover up another? Like, I think that would seem more viable to an officer. But this is what happens when... A, how about don't commit crimes to begin with? But just like we joke about stupid criminals sometimes when you're in these desperate things, when you're under this level of stress, ain't nobody smart. You just aren't. No. And so Duffy Stone is one of Alex's very good friends, and he's the current solicitor in Hampton County. Okay. So right around August 11th, he recuses himself from the murder investigation. I mean, clap, clap. You should have done that originally. A long time like, ago. You don't get any credit for doing that. That's so, right. Cool. Well, he did do it. He could have not. Yes. To be fair. Anyway, go ahead. So September 3rd, Alec officially resigns from the family law firm. So here's the next crime in our story of crimes. September 4th, there's a 911 call from Alec Murdoch. He just cl- a couple months later. Okay. Yep. He claims that he was shot on the side of the road. The wound is superficial, but he's being treated at a nearby hospital. Within days of being released, Alec goes to rehab. And there's a statement that comes out that Alec is suffering from an opioid addiction. Days later, the law firm comes out and says that Alec was fired and is now being investigated for misappropriating firm money. So he got his delay. He got from sept- from June to September, but they were still coming for him like they were still going to figure out what was going on and then all of a sudden he's shot in the head and then has to go to rehab it's all suspect and his 
father who again was typically the fixer in these things is no longer there to clean it up because i think for someone that's used to fixing things like this a couple months is plenty of time to make things go away yeah i just i almost feel i don't feel bad for him but i almost feel bad for yeah him. yeah well here here's a a perfect example of an adult who's ever had to problem solve their whole life that's right and so now they're just they're flailing it feels infantile it does so 10 days later september 14th Court documents allege Murdoch's roadside shooting was part of an arrangement where he hired a former client to kill him so that Buster, the surviving son, could collect a life insurance payout of $10 million. Curtis Edward Smith, 61, who allegedly shot Murdoch, was charged with assisted suicide, assault and battery of a high and aggravated nature, pointing and presenting a firearm insurance fraud conspiracy to commit insurance fraud so they just threw it at him they're like anything that we can make apparently the story that comes out is he hires this guy to kill him and so that his son can collect the insurance money he's like you know what i'm I'm out and apparently he chickens out and he gets a superficial wound instead alec chickened out or the hired no alec chickened out okay i think this kind of sets him up that like oh whoever killed maggie and paul is now after me and i'm wondering if that was like alex playing the whole time like lead this person to believe that they're really a thing i duck at the last minute now i have a viable suspect that could have done it here's this guy that tried to shoot me it's kind of brilliant if it weren't if it were better thought out right, right? here's where we get like stupid criminals that's right play because that quick. guy was like mm, let no. me just he turned within 10 days that's how quick they got him to turn oh on my alec god because <laughs> alec is down in rehab in orlando florida all this stuff is coming out which i mean he knew what he was doing he wouldn't put himself in rehab he knew exactly what he was doing here's really where the house starts to fall apart so September 15th, they actually open a criminal investigation into the death of Gloria Satterfield, the case we talked about last episode of their longtime nanny and housekeeper. And it's with handling her estate because, again, he pretty much stole the $4 million. So September 16th, he's then arrested in connection with that insurance fraud scheme involved with arranging his own killing. He's charged with insurance fraud conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, filing a police, police report, all, all the charges that they can get him. So arrested finally in September 16th. So really in September, like within the next couple of months, everyone sues Alec. The firm, Connor Cook's family, Gloria Satterfield's family, and another client of his, of the law firm. The charges begin to rack up in the financial area, along with the fraud scheme and his shooting, Like from then until July of 2022, the lawsuit and charges continue almost every single month. There is a new charge that gets issued and it's racking up up to almost $7 million. They even go as far to exhume Gloria Satterfield's body to ensure that the death was accidental. And they have the coroner actually do an autopsy. Also at this time, Alec is officially disbarred from South Carolina, which... It's about time. Yeah. Now we're almost a full year into this. So now we're into July. The two charges that would completely just destroy him, tear everything apart, he would be charged officially with the murder of his son and his wife. And he is arrested. And that's where he sits from July. And then the trial 
really of 2023 kicks off in January. And it's explosive. Before we get to the bombs, the CFO, when she gets up there and starts talking about his financial stuff. I bet she eviscerates him. (laughs) Because she's not a lawyer, but she is a long time. She's a CPA. She's an accountant. She's very calm. And she's worked with lawyers, too. Right. Like, she's very calm. Yeah. She's very unemotional. And she says, like, I was pissed. I was very angry. Like, the, he he was deceitful. He deceived us. We've had to pay out millions of dollars in order with all of this stuff that's happening. His best friend, that Chris Wilson, that he was involved in that, he is crying on the stand because he cannot believe that his best friend would put him in this case and he ended up having to put in $192,000 of his own money to cover that $792,000. So he did end up getting $600,000 back from Alec, but he was still waiting on another $192,000. And he kept asking him, like, where is this money? Where is this money? Where is it at? It's $200,000. Like, that's a lot of money. Added, and, and he's just a small time, owns his own law firm. He's not making the same type of money that the Murdochs are making. So, I mean, his... Son gets up there, his brother gets up there, the police are up there. They really just eviscerate him. His lawyer to me. His son testified against him. No, his he didn't. He testified his brothers and his son testified for the defense. But I don't know that they did. I don't know that it did him any justice, honestly. Like his brothers, they come out as very sentimental. They're trying to do some good. They're trying to show that like he was a good family man. And I I think that's okay. Like he you can be both. Yeah, both I think things that, can be true. I think in this moment, you know, he made some really piss poor d- choices, and he probably felt at that moment whether or not he had this huge drug addiction, like he said he does. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know what kind of pill addiction you have that you're going through millions of dollars. I know people who have had addictions, expensive addictions, and things like that. And I just don't know how you're, I think he said it was like a $55,000 a week habit. I think it's deeper than that, right? Like for when it's that kind of addiction, the decisions that you're making once you're high are not the necessarily the same kinds of rational decisions that you would make when you're sober. And if you're already inclined to spend money because you got it, promise that is like turned up times 10 when you're when you've got a buzz from whatever it is that you're taking so it it makes sense to me i don't think the pills probably cost that much i think the collective impact of his habit probably cost him that much here are the things that come out during the trial that really contradict the story that alec had told the police investigators it's all dependent on that like rather hastily made up timeline yes I think the other thing that's really important to note is there are guns that are missing from the Murdoch home that still to this day have never been found. And guess what? They are consistent with the guns that could kill Maggie and Paul. You can't say for sure, but the fact that there are guns that are missing and are still never found and not accounted for, I think really does play into this piece of it when we say that we know that they're missing do they know specifically what kinds of guns what caliber what so that they are in fact consistent with what they've been hit with okay they do and so one of the things so if you guys really they do such a good job the prosecutors they're like 10 episodes we love you prosecutors yeah they're 10 episodes deep into the murdochs i was just listening to one that really talked about the guns and talked about the types of 
gunshots that Maggie and Paul sustained. Yeah. And so one of the things that they really talked about was the difference between a buck shot and a duck shot. Right. And so they talked about, and so this this all comes from them. So I, I completely like give this credit to them and, and definitely go listen to episode 10 if you want to hear more that really gives like specifics. Brett, who's the host of the prosecutors, he is a gun expert. And he talks that a duck shot is what you would use to kill a bird or a duck. And the reason that it's different is you think if you go bird hunting, you don't want to obliterate the bird. You want it to live. So it's a smaller hole. And most of the time, if you a human got shot with it, it's probably not going to kill you. And there are times that it would kill you. And that a buck shot, much bigger, you kill deer with it, you could easily kill a human with it. It's like a scatter shot. Yeah. And so they said the type of shots that Paul had that he actually got shot at first with a buck shot and that it like one in a million chances actually didn't hit any vital organs and he could have survived from that first shot but the second shot that actually killed him was a duck shot but it was shot it was fired in a weird angle and so it went like through his throat and into the base of his skull and killed him probably immediately from that And so they said the fact that it would be so rare for someone, an outsider, to walk up, to have no guns, right? To take guns from the Murdoch home and use that to kill Maggie and Paul. But even more to have this duck and buck shots ammo loaded in this gun. It would be much more likely that this was a gun that was loaded there at a hunting lodge with this weird type of ammo put into this gun, which even even Brett said, who is an expert, says like it's still kind of weird. Um, he said normally what you see first in a lot of hunting guns is the very first one is the duck shot, and then the second ones would be your buck shots, the second and third. But this one was backwards. It's really hard for them to believe that this was a stranger who came up on the property with that because you would never go out to to shoot and kill someone with this type of a gun or that type of an ammo with a duck shot like as someone that has just passing knowledge of guns i know when you say buckshot i'm familiar with what that means right you had to describe to me before the before we started recording what a duck shot is there is no way in hell that unless i were a seasoned hunter um, which again, why would I be bringing that in there? That I would e- even have that ammunition anywhere near me to load up. You know right. what I mean? Like he he might have gotten away with it if it had only been a buckshot because I think that that's common enough that it would have been plausible deniability. So many people have scatter shot. Right. I, so few people even know what a duck shot is. Yeah, it's very interesting to listen to them break it down. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in the gun piece, specifically episode 10 from the prosecutors for what they did for the Murdoch. But that was really interesting to hear. That's kind of a bomb for them that they can't find these guns, that these this gun would be consistent for what could shoot or fire at Maggie and Paul. And there's no reason for why they're, they're these missing. Guns yeah, that's are missing. Right. There's no explanation for it. So the other thing is, while Paul was down at the kennels, they're, you know, just like any, like we talked about it with the boat crash, right? Paul is a young He's in his early, early 20s at this point. He is on his phone all day, every day. And the other thing that young adults do all day long is Snapchat. And so 
he was taking a video of one of the dogs with one of his best friends and he was sending the dog had like something wrong with its tail and he's sending his friend a video of the dog and you can hear his mom in the background but guess who else you can hear <clears throat> alec clear as day you can hear him in this video and so the whole timeline is now blown as far as alec saying over and over again i never went down to those kennels until maggie and paul were dead and supposedly he was asleep right i, I took a nap i left to go to my mom so here's this whole like two hour time frame that these murders can happen well now that snapchat video is taken just about like 8 45 so supposedly if you left at nine to go see your mom and we know you did because we've got video camera of it so now your timeline is completely blown apart and it was it was a bombshell that video i think that video nailed him right there yeah. like, i think if you had nothing else beside that video you nailed it right there if there was any deniability left that just final hole yes so and they're on their phone not just paul is on his phone all day long maggie is a pretty frequent phone user so she's texting the family they're waiting to hear about the ailing father they're getting group text messages within the family she's responding to text messages so you can tell by the snapchat video they're all down by the kennels and they're both actively using their phones well within minutes from that video i think it's within like seven minutes their phones would lock and they would never be opened again so all of a sudden you go from very active use to never have been opened again and his friend is continuing to call him. He's sending him messages. There's a girl that's sending him messages. So it's not like, hey, my phone went silent and nobody said anything else to me for the rest of the night. People are act like you were engaged in an active conversation and you went silent. So it would tell you that the murder probably happened somewhere in that time frame. That's right. So according to Alec, then. He takes the stand because now he has to take the stand, which, you know, that's a huge no-no. You don't want to take the stand. They're going to, you know, eviscerate you that's on right. it. That's right. But he has Cross, to. Yeah. I'm sure it was rough, man. <laughs> he's got to take the stand now because he's got to say, he's got to confront that thing about him being in the video and the fact that he's lied about this timeline. Also, the prosecutor, every person that they put on that stand, they play that video and they're like, is that Alex's voice? And every person says, Yes. So, of course, Alec admits, yes, he did go down to the kennels. He says that he didn't tell the police because of his pill addiction, that he was too scared to tell the police the truth that he was down by the kennels. And so that's why he lied about it. But he's still sticking to his story that he left them, went up to the house, and fell asleep for like 15 minutes, and then left, Never checked on Maggie and Paul again, even though Maggie's stopped answering his text message when he said, hey, I'm leaving. Or, hey, I called her to come home from the beach house. Why would you not have Maggie go with you? Like, why would you not say, like, hey, babe, do you want to come with me to the hospital? Or, like, to go visit mom or something like that. Like, you called her here. You just saw her. Why would you say, like, hey, let's run back to the house? Like, That's right. It doesn't even make sense. So it's called, it reminds me of like Scott Peterson. And we talked about it. And funny enough, the prosecutor said the same thing as like, we thought Scott Peterson was an unlucky fuck. Like this guy. If all of that is true, right. the amount of things that you would have to believe went badly 
is just obscene. Yeah. If we say everything that he's true, this is what the timeline would be, right? Maggie, Paul, Alec are at the kennels. Alec leaves. Seven minutes later, their phones go dead, right? They go silent. They're never opened again. So theoretically, they're being shot and killed, right? I think that's what makes the most sense at that moment. Alec is at the house taking his little cat nap. Doesn't hear a high-powered rifle shoot his wife. You know the dog's got to be going ape shit. Doesn't hear the kennel commotion. Doesn't hear Maggie and Paul. Doesn't hear the shots. Now, again, this is not a 100-acre property. I live on a few acres, and my neighbors, they all live on a few acres. I hear shoot. I was going to say, I hear gunshots all the time. And we're on three acres. So, yeah. He would have heard something. It doesn't even make sense. And I'm sure even when he got up 15 minutes later that the dogs would still be going crazy. And then, like, why wouldn't these people then go after Alec? Like, why would they leave him alone and kill Maggie? Right. So that just doesn't make sense. But he doubles down on that's his new theory. The prosecution, they're like, Cross was like, nah. Nah. This is crime investigation in 2023. They are pulling out your steps on your phone. They're pulling out GPS. They're pulling out phone data. And so the other thing that they get is they're watching all of the steps that happened between him leaving the kennels. Looks like he's at the house, getting into the car, even like how fast the car was driving. So when he was driving home, he was like doing an excess of like 70 miles an hour. It almost, it's the behavior is almost like someone on speed. So like, that's why I was thinking in my head, like that would have made way more sense. In my mind, he killed Maggie and Paul. He took a bunch of pills, went to go see his mom and he's speeding. He's doing 70 miles an hour home. He's working himself up to the theatrics that he's about to have to do. And I'm sure... There's some type of emotion that goes behind killing your son and your wife. I almost wonder, too, did he take the pills before he even killed them? It makes you wonder, knowing about this pill addiction, which, to your point, maybe he is exaggerating it. But it just, like, you hear about that in much more severe cases, like with meth heads and things like that all the time. Like, it gets you in a state where you are doing things that when you are sober, you're like, there's no way I did that. There's no way I would... but. But bitch, you did. Right. Like, you you did it. So I don't, I, that is a curiosity. It doesn't expunge him of any guilt or culpability there, but it, it would be an interesting dynamic to see if he committed that act high or sober. Yeah. They lay out all the steps, the GPS, and that timeline that he came up with, like, still does not. It doesn't match. It doesn't, it doesn't match. Make because, sense. because the minutes are just not far enough apart. Like, his original story, had they never had that Snapchat video, I think that does that leaves enough room for deniability. Yes. But I think when you're talking about seven minutes, and again, like I think about my teenagers are on their phones all the time. I'm on my phone all the time. If my phone, if I'm answering my phone and then all of a sudden I'm not and people are messaging me and calling me and there's no reason for me to stop answering, it's because somebody has killed me in that yeah. time frame. Like that's a hundred percent what has happened in that moment. Especially if that's atypical of that person. Because like mm-hmm. me, that probably would be typical. Right. Like I get doing whatever We would get I'm nothing doing. off your phone. That's right. <laughs> we really wouldn't. They'd be like, um, he's a hermit. So. <laughs> the other thing that really blows this away is, again, Alex says when he comes home, he goes to the house. Then he comes down to the kennels. And he's concerned. And he sees Maggie and Paul there. He checks them. So 
GPS, steps, heart rate, all that stuff, right? They do say he goes to the house and then he goes to the kennel. But they said between hitting the kennel and dialing 911, 15 seconds. There is no way he got out, went there, saw his loved ones, his child, ran back to the car and dialed 911 in 15 seconds. If he did that, like something has to give. Either you didn't try to touch them. Right. Or it has to take more than 15 seconds. Like I could see a thing. 15 seconds is longer than people realize. I could I could see a world where you see them. It registers for a couple seconds and you're like, oh shit, let me dial 911. Right. That can make sense to me. You cannot fit in those 15 seconds. I see you. I check you. Right. And then I go dial 911. Right. And even if you're like scared shitless. No. Like I just don't know. And again, like we watched the video of him earlier. And he, I mean, he's he's overweight. He's heavy set. Like he's sweating profusely. And I and I get it. Like a very traumatic thing has happened regardless of whether or not you he, probably he was would guilty yeah, yeah, yeah. of it or whatever. I'm like, you did not run back and forth in 15 seconds. Sure Let's didn't. be real. No, that's right. You didn't. Otherwise, he would be like. <gasps> yeah. Uh-uh. He did not. <laughs> he didn't do that. So again, like. We talked about it earlier. The shirt, it's spotless. It doesn't match the story. It doesn't Go watch follow. that video, listeners. It literally looks like a pressed t-shirt. Like, it's one of those rich people t-shirts. Yeah, like... and the bad thing is, this is one of the heartbreaking parts. That I said his brother testified earlier. And when his brother testified, he said the next day, you know, he called the police and said, hey, you know, can I go down to the crime scene? Like, I need to go look at it. Like, I need to go put my eyes on it and really understand what happened. And he said that he went down there and there is everything that you expect there to be. There's blood. He was like, there is what I imagine might be brain matter. There's skull fractures. He was like, there's there's bone fragments. Dear God. And he said that, of course, you know, they they don't normally like clean up in that situation. And and I'm sure he had a lot of feelings about like, how did you just leave it here like this so for his dad to clean up? But that that's just not normal. And he really felt like he needed to clean it up. And he began the process of cleaning up the area because the police had released it from being a crime scene. And it honestly is the most heartbreaking thing because he really loved his nephew. He loved his sister-in-law. And he seems like a very genuine guy. He's not a lawyer. He's He owns a construction business. He probably really loves his brother too for whatever you know that's worth. It was really sad. And honestly, it was probably... I don't know that it did anything for Alex's case, but I think it did something for me in realizing that it's really easy to look at this whole family and be like, oh, they're all bad. They're not all bad. Like, just because there's a couple of bad seeds does not make everybody. And his brother, you know, talking about, he, he said he was like, this isn't for anybody to see. And I know in his heart of heart, he has to believe after watching that testimony and, and listening to everything and just looking at the facts that his brother had to do it, but you can tell, like, he just can't imagine a world where his brother would do this to his very beloved nephew. So we've talked about before this idea that crimes, they go bigger than just the perpetrator and the victim. They have these ripple effects, right? And it, in in this kind of case, it's sullied a name and and a well-built one, by the way, like Murdoch's for whatever you may have opinions of them along the way. Um, but they've been very successful and they've done what they've done very, very well. 
that is all coming crumbling down. So that's the first thing that I feel for his brother. Like, mm -hmm. that's just awful. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. And now I am forever associated with this name and this crime. And I'm forever going to have to tell that story, even though I've worked really hard to build a good reputation for myself. The second thing I would say to that is, like, think about when we, like, just disappoint our friends on something minor and how much we stress out about over, like, that kind of thing. Like, I just, the people I really care about, if I've done something to truly disappoint you, right. I feel that. I feel the weight of it. And by the way, on the recipient of that, when you're the person that's been slighted by the friend, it really hurts because this is this person that you trust. Right. How awful must it be for your brother? Which, again, we presume he loves his brother, right? Both of them love each other. To have to listen to that and admit to yourself, this person that I love did this. They did this awful thing. The depth of disappointment and sorrow and grief not even being a victim of that crime that one must feel in that situation it was, hard. That's it was really, very, really hard. It was very, it was, it was very hard to watch. He does. They do talk a lot about the financial crimes in the trial and he blames it all on his addiction and says, but he does admit to it in open court, which is very interesting because he hasn't been tried on those yet. He's been, charged with a lot of them but he hasn't been tried yet the murder trial came first so he basically admitted i yes. did it and i did it because of this thing and they can be used for his financial crime trial and that will be very hard for him to plead not guilty to now that you have admitted to i it don't in think open you can court. Yeah. you have to perjure yourself one way or the other yeah so in the end on march 2nd the jury would come back after only three hours of deliberating three hours and Michael and I were here at the house when it, <laughs> yes, and we, we went were running through the house. Sure did. Like, Holy shit. <laughs> um, they found him guilty of two counts of murder and two counts of weapon charges. And that is definitely one of the fastest jury decisions on a murder trial I have ever seen. The very next day, the judge sentenced him and gave him two consecutive life in prison. And so they do have him in prison right now. He is not in Gen Pop. He is isolated to himself. Yes. I think there are probably worried, obviously, for suicide. There was an update from the Mallory Beach wrongful lawsuit that I wanted to talk about. In 2023, so as this case was kicking off as this trial, the family of Mallory Beach originally had Buster Murdoch, which is the older brother, as a named defendant on here. And part of that was Paul, when he bought alcohol... He used Buster's driver's license to get at the alcohol. So they had him as a named. But in January, right as that murder trial was kicking off, they dropped Buster from the lawsuit. And so what happens for that is, which also, they also dropped part of the estate that belonged to his mom. You know, th there are other properties that belong directly to Alec and his family, but his mother's estate and that money would be safe for Buster to inherit. And I thought like that was just something super compassionate that the family did. And they said like Buster has been through enough. Like at, really at the end of the day that they weren't looking to go after Buster. That's just part of... He was a victim in this, just like we were saying, right. like, just as much as the rest of the family. Yeah, was. they felt like this was something that they could do this son has been facing, you know, an unbelievable time. His mom, his his brother is dead. His father's been charged. Like his whole life is really turned Just up. Just got turned upside down. And as yes. far as we know, and as, as far as it looks like, he's a, really an innocent party to that. And so I can't even imagine what he feels. It really kind of warmed my heart a little bit. And I think it goes to show 
what type of family Mallory Beach had. And I, I said that since I watched the documentary, her parents are just the most upstanding human beings. And like, even for Alec or anybody to say to them that, oh, were you involved in Maggie in Paul's death? He was like, you know, of course the police were going to come and ask me the very next day. Did you have anything to do with this? Do you have an alibi? And he was like, I would never do that. Like, have I been angry? Am I upset? Yes. Would I then go kill him? No, because that, like, that isn't who I am. And you could see, like, he really felt that. And I just thought it was most, one of the most respectful things I had heard. And um, so I really did appreciate that. The other person besides Alec that is involved in this lawsuit is the grocery store that sold the alcohol to the minors originally in the day. There was a settlement. I think it's of about $700,000. And so that's going to be split among the survivors along with Mallory Beach's family. Um, but because the other kids were injured as well. So that's going to be split. Then the only other thing, you know, there is an appeal, of course. I think one of the things that his lawyer said is they didn't feel that his financial crimes should be brought into the court. I don't think it matters, to be honest, even if you took all the financial crimes out of it. I think it shows what kind of a person Alec is. But I don't think it I don't think it does anything to me. Like they got him in the tape. They have him in the steps. They've got him in the GPS. They have like they have him in that evidence. Because there's no way in seven minutes he walked away from that house and didn't hear his wife and son being shot. There's just, it's just, that's unbelievable to me. And so very unlikely that Alec will ever be released from prison. Because again, if some somehow that appeal got overturned, you have about 40 financial crime charges and they're going to put you away. He is going to be in prison for a long, long time. And really, I think the only thing that's left from this case is to find out, like, what is going to happen with the body that was exhumed of Stephen Smith, and will it actually have anything to do with the Murdochs? That's right. And at this point, I don't even know, like, the specter of what has been created by Alec at this point. Like, in the the court of public opinion, I'm not sure that it even matters. No. Like, even if he is found innocent of having anything to do with it. There, there's always going to be that wonder. There's going to be the urban legend of it because you've done these other awful things that make it seem completely viable that you would have done this other awful thing. Yeah. So I just, he is the kind of criminal that in some ways I'm, I'm most scared of. Like, because some of the other stuff, like even if it was attached to him, was relatively petty in nature. Mm-hmm. To be able to go from zero to 100 like that, to go from like petty financial crime to murder overnight of the people dearest to you to try to dig out of a hole, that is, it's terrifying. I'm glad he's in prison. I'm glad that they have fallback options, like you said, for the financial crime. Like he is, it sounds like because of his addiction, he's at least at the moment a danger to himself and he's certainly a danger to other people. Yeah, I think the part about it, when people say that, you know, or speculate, maybe he didn't do it or things like that, you know, that podcast that we like, I feel like they've said it best is the reason you can't understand why someone would do this is because you would never do anything like this. Like we don't think in that way. I could never hurt my children in this way. I, I just could never do it. I can't fathom it. It's so hard to fathom. 
if you look at it with common sense and you look at all the pieces of the puzzle, like it's very clearly, yes, there's not a video of Alec doing it, but every all the evidence shows you that this is what happened. That's right. Or you were the unluckiest bastard in the whole world. That's like, right. You either did this or everything. The whole world is conspiring against Everything you. went against the you. The Greek and Roman gods have come back and yes. are smiting you. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> Final destination. That's right. Death is following you, bitch. Way. Like, that's right. So, yes. Needless to say, Alec is very guilty. Michael, I don't know that we could do a mob case that would have this much. That Hollywood is like salivating. Oh, for to sure. As soon, as soon as a respectful amount of time has passed... They're going to pounce on this because you can't write something I cannot wait could. to see the Lifetime movie. Real human nature. And I know that's one of the many reasons we like doing this because real human nature is just sometimes disturbingly fascinating, but fascinating nonetheless. Like it's just what gets into the mind of you to make you want to do this to people you love like that. Like even the money thing. So what your millions in debt, that is still better than having none of the people you love. It's better than being in prison for the rest of your life. Millions of dollars in debt, you can live an austere lifestyle and get out of that. You can't bring your wife and son back. You can't undo prison. No, I would say that I st- I think there's a world that he could have gotten out of some of the financial issues that he was in. He was having to turn over his financial records. I think that lawsuit would have eaten his lunch for sure. But I think the rest of the stuff, he could have walked away from the law firm. I think he could have talked his way out of some of it. But because the spotlight was placed on them, like it, here's this little snowball coming down the mountain, right? And it's an avalanche. But I do think like at the end of the day, he would have never saw the amount of prison time that he's facing today because of these murders. No. He would have been able to talk his way out of it would have been a relative slap on the wrist compared to what he's doing. Right. And let none of that diminish the fact that again, two people lost their physical lives and many more have now lost like I just their loved ones, their lives. Buster's life has been it's flipped upside down and backwards. For the rest of his life. You know, if I were his brothers, I did think after his brother testified, I would, and he was convicted, I would think I'd be like, I don't have to clean up his mess anymore. Yeah. Like, I feel horrible that this has happened. I cannot change it. But like, I do not have to worry about him anymore. Let me focus on my other nephew and let me just be done with this. I'm telling you what, too, if I were Buster, I'd be legally changing my name. Like, just go somewhere, like, once you've gotten your head straight, and I'm sure, and I, like, seriously, I am not a prayer, but like, I'm sending all the good vibes. Like, what? What just an awful thing to go through. And when you find a way to to resume some semblance of normal, move somewhere, change your name, start over. Yeah. Like you just do. Come do to Florida. It. Well, there's the story of the very famous or infamous Murdoch family and all of the crazy crimes that were surrounding it. You guys tell us what you think. Hit us up on all of our socials. You can catch us at Nosy Bees, both on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, if you want to do the whole email thing, you can do that too at nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, life at gmail.com. And I, th- I think our next episode, 
will not be so much doom and gloom. No, no, no. We got to go a little think, bit lighter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm bringing some lighter. Yeah, to I think we're going to I think we're going to have some fun yes. with the next episode. And the next time we talk, Mr. Michael will be a married man. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of crazy. Send us all the good vibes for that, too. I'm. It's just fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> all right, you guys. Until next time, bitches. Bye. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback But at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.